invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, and the words to which I would call your attention this morning come to us from verses 5 through 15. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 15. We know that all Scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It is given to us by His inspiration. So uh, Peter could say that no prophet ever prophesied according to his own will, but as he was guided by the Holy Spirit, as he was moved along by the Holy Spirit, this is God's inerrant and infallible, sufficient and authoritative word. Uh, Give attention to it now. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask for your blessing to be added to this word. We know that it is not a dead word, but it lives. It lives in the hearts of all of those to whom you have granted true faith. Working in the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless us now, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. We are accustomed to talking about faith. It probably occupies little signs that you've bought from Hobby Lobby. It's in your house. You think about faith on a regular basis. It's a term that we use in a lot of different uh, ways. Those who are opposed to Christianity will talk about faith in a derogatory manner. They will say, well, that's, that's a matter of faith. For you, to them, faith is a blind trust with no basis in fact whatsoever. But this is not the biblical conception of faith. Faith is not a blind leap. It's not the Lord asking you to close your eyes and say, just trust me here. All men exercise faith. All men exercise faith because no man lives 
and dies with an infinite knowledge of all things. No man can tell you the weight of the sand on Hawaii's beaches. When you sign a contract, you do so, believing that you will be able to fulfill all of the terms of that contract. When you crank your car, when you turn the key, you do so believing that when you take that action, the engine is only going to combust as far as it's supposed to and not into your face. All men exercise faith. It is a part of everyday life. If we were able to know all things as God does, then faith wouldn't be necessary. So faith is as essential to humanity as breathing. Faith is as essential to humanity as breathing. And this morning, Matthew teaches us about the unique nature of Christian faith, you understand? Christian faith is faith exercised in a way that conforms with God's word. So when God teaches us about faith, he's not saying start having faith. What he's doing in scripture is teaching you where your faith must lie. He's teaching you the parameters, the edges of Christian faith. What defines a true true believer in Christ? What defines a true son of the kingdom? What does his faith look like? And as Matthew teaches us, true faith acknowledges the fact, the nature, and the extent of Christ's authority, and it waits on him to demonstrate it. True faith acknowledges the fact, the nature, and the extent of Christ's authority and then waits on him to demonstrate that authority. Uh, We have reached a transition point in in the geography of Christ's ministry. We've seen him uh, around the region of Galilee. Really, uh, the the geography hasn't come up except we know we've been on a mountain uh, somewhere. Jesus was born in Bethlehem and he's moved north and and now he he is traveling north up to the city of Capernaum. It was a fairly significant city in the ancient days. It rests, if you can picture uh, the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is currently, Bethlehem is somewhere down here, and Judea is south, and you can picture the River Jordan coming out of the base of it. Well, up here is the city of Capernaum. It is a northern city. It had a Roman outpost. And it was fairly significant because uh, men would, would, would have their ships there, and they would go out from there into the Sea of Galilee, and they would fish. Hence the reason that Christ found Peter and Andrew and James and John all there. And then Matthew, a little bit later, who is collecting taxes on all of these men. In this section of Matthew's gospel, we're transitioning out of the inauguration of Christ's ministry into the Galilean period of his ministry. And what is Matthew accenting? What is Matthew accenting? If you've got your Bible, notice Go back with me up to chapter 7. 
we closed the Sermon on the Mount. And there Matthew noted for us, and, and, and this is verse 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And then in an editorial comment, Matthew says, said, wrote, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So that forms a thesis statement, if you will, a theme. This is what he's going to tease out for us in this section of the gospel, that Christ is one who possesses a certain authority. In chapters 8 through 10, Matthew records many demonstrations of Jesus' authority. And among them, the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion's slave, and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. He draws your attention to these in particular. And not only that, but in the very middle, in the very middle of these healings, Matthew noted something that Jesus said to his followers. He recorded a conversation between Jesus and the Roman centurion about the subject of authority. Tying this all together, Jesus teaches us about the relationship between his authority and faith and the final judgment, just as he did at the end of his sermon. The first thing that we want to note from verses 5 through 7, or perhaps verses 5 through 8, is this. That faith acknowledges the fact of Jesus' authority. If you wanted to put it in a little bit lengthier statement, uh, true faith, Christian faith, it acknowledges the fact of Christ's authority. Notice what happens in this scene in verse 5 of chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, so there Christ is entering into this city, this fairly significant city, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Now, a centurion was a man who who himself possessed authority. He was a a local, maybe a regional uh, captain or a corporal, if you will. He had uh, beneath him a, a legion of men, maybe 50 or 60 or 80 men, and he would command that particular uh, legion. He had authority over them. But we notice two things about this, about this centurion. He, he came to Jesus for help. He didn't remain where he was. His, he, he was compelled to go and to seek Christ's help. Well, what's the issue? We, we learn that one of his servants is lying uh, paralyzed at home and he is suffering. So there is a need in this centurion's home. And and the word that is used here that Matthew uses, a serving lad, is is perhaps a young boy who serves in this centurion's home. Uh, He perhaps had a particular affection for this young servant boy. And he's been laying in a bed. Something's happened to him. Uh, Maybe he's had a seizure, he's had an injury or an accident, and he's become paralyzed, and it's the sort of paralysis that causes him severe pain. And so they've taken this young man, literally the Greek says, they've thrown him in the bed, they've cast him into the bed, and there he lays. And out of his concern, then the centurion seeks Christ's help. And something that you and I take away from this seen is that sincere faith 
reaches out to Christ for aid. Sincere faith reaches out to Christ for aid. I I acknowledge his authority. The centurion's faith in Christ compelled him to go to Christ, or in Luke's account, he sent a delegation of men to go and ask for the Lord's help in this situation. You see then, so faith and humility go together. How? The centurion recognizes that there's nothing that he can do for his his servant. There's nothing that he could do. He he must go. He must seek the Lord's help. And so he, he comes in his humility, acknowledging his need. There's nothing that I can do for him, but I acknowledge that you have authority. That's Christian faith. It is going to Christ, acknowledging that he has the authority to do what you need him to do. You think about how this compares with our circumstances. We would look at a centurion like this, a man in his position, and we say that self-sufficiency is what he needs. Men are looking to him to guide them, to show them his own authority. But here he sees that he's reached its end. And sincere faith in this centurion compelled him to action. Sincere faith compelled him to seek Christ. And when you and I have sincere faith, it moves us into action. What is that action? Well, it is the downward bending of the knee. The prostrating, perhaps, of the body before Christ. We recognize in this scene that the afflictions of life are the backdrop against which true faith becomes visible. The afflictions, the sufferings in life, the hardships, the hurts, all become the backdrop against which your faith can be truly seen. Is is it real? Is it sincere? Are you going to, to Christ acknowledging His authority? True faith seeks Christ in all seasons. It appeals to Him, appeals to His authority. But we see secondly... That faith acknowledges not just that Christ has authority, but that Christ's authority is of a certain sort. Faith acknowledges the nature of Jesus' authority. We see in verses 8 and 9. Jesus answered him. He says, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion, humbling himself even more, said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. You see, the centurion acknowledges that within Jewish culture of that day, there there was a defined separation between Jew and Gentile. In Jewish tradition, it was not lawful uh, to interact with Gentile people in certain ways. For instance, it was lawful for a Jewish woman to nurse a Gentile baby, but a Jewish person better not ever allow a Gentile to nurse her baby. They were very conscientious of Gentile paganism. 
Gentiles are tainted by their idolatry. And this Gentile man acknowledges if Christ enters into his home, it will taint him in the eyes of his people. But this isn't the only aspect we see of the Gentiles' faith. What does he believe about Christ? What is the nature of his authority? He acknowledges that Christ, this man, carries with him divine authority. Notice what he says. Verse 9, For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. All it will take is a command from you. Speak the words, and my servant will be healed. And so the first thing that we recognize in, in Christ, this, this, this man who is walking in their midst, is that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in this man. He has the authority not just to command men, but to command diseases, to command sickness. And this takes us back then uh, to the very beginning of this chapter in verse 2. Remember that, that the, the leper came to Christ. And, and what did he say to, them, to him? If you will, you can make me clean. The, the nature of Christ's authority is such that the only limitation for it is his will. Whatsoever he wills, he can do. But we notice another thing. That there is a complete harmony between the human will of Christ and the divine will of Christ. Between the human will of Christ and the divine will of Christ. There's a complete harmony, a complete agreement, so that whatever the human Christ commands, whatever He opens His mouth and utters, is the same as that which the divine Christ wills, the Godhead wills. There's total agreement. Why is that important to you? Because when He says, your sins are forgiven, well, is that the will of the humanity or the will of the divinity? Is He revealing to me the will of God? Absolutely they are a complete harmony. And so when we look to Christ and we think, well, we want to be conformed to the likeness of this Christ, that's what we're thinking. I want my will to be in such harmony with the div divine Godhead that I look like the human Christ. I love what He loves. I hate what He hates. You see, the centurion in his faith acknowledges the nature of Jesus' authority. Why is this relevant for you? Because you cannot see Christ. You cannot touch Him. You cannot feel Him. You can't place your hands on Him. You know that the Scriptures reveal to you that He is seated on His throne. And you're praying to this Christ. You're bringing your needs before Him, asking Him for His help. 
And you are doing so just like the centurion, knowing that even though he is not physically in his humanity present with you, that his divinity is fully present. His power is fully available to you. He can do whatsoever He wills. He does not have to be here. His feet don't have to be on the earth for Him to exercise His power. He's present everywhere. And from heaven, by the power of His divine nature, He hears and answers the cries of the faithful. Faith acknowledges that Christ is authoritative. Faith acknowledges the nature of His authority. He he possesses all of the authority of the Godhead. Thirdly, in verses 10 to 12, we see that faith acknowledges the extent of Jesus' authority. Notice here something very interesting. Here is Jesus. He's come down from the mountain And he's walking through the wilderness with all of these people following him. It is a picture of the tabernacle of God, the dwelling place of God, leading the people of Israel through the wilderness. They are following behind him just as they followed that tabernacle in the wilderness. Why? Because Christ is the place where the presence of God dwells fully. And they're looking to him for guidance. And here, something very strange happens. Christ does not exalt a Jewish man. He looks to a Gentile man and says, here is the presence of true faith. He takes more pleasure in this Gentile man than in the ethnic Jews. Why? Because of this man's faith. Look with me at verses 10 to 12. When Jesus heard these words, he marveled. There is the expression of Christ in his humanity. And said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do we mean by the extent of Christ's authority? That Christ, this man in whom all of the fullness of the Godhead dwells, has the power of judgment. It is Christ who is the final judge. It is Christ who will in the very end determine the sheep from the goats. It is Christ and His Word that will send some into eternal life and some into everlasting darkness and gnashing of teeth. And that that idea of gnashing of teeth is is one that we find in the Old Testament. is one who, it's like eating sour grapes. And you know that electricity that when you eat something sour, that electricity that goes through your entire jaw and sometimes causes you to have goosebumps. Well, this is a man who knows 
the consequences of his sin. It's, it's not anger per se. It is the shock of judgment, of being cast out. But we notice that something very important happens in this place. Jesus mentions the relationship between faith and his authority. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Is Jesus here using faith as a trust in something unknown? Of course not. Jesus has been walking in their midst. He has been healing many. The centurion had heard of Christ's authority. Perhaps he has observed Christ's authority. Uh, Some who were crippled have now come back and they've been demonstrated well. They can walk now. He he sees. he, He understands And so he went to him seeking that authority in his own behalf. Faith is not blind trust in something that is unknown. Faith is trust in something. Listen, faith is trust in something that cannot be apprehended by the senses. It is as if to say that faith is the sixth sense that God has given to you. We know that there's something beyond, something that cannot be apprehended by the eyes and the ears and the hands and the nose and the the mouth. There's something else there. When you crank your car, you cannot see every single mechanism that is locking into place to cause the spark plugs to fire and the cylinders to move and the the fuel to be injected, you can't see all that, but you understand because someone told you that's what happens. You can't see it. None of you were there when the foundations of the earth were set. Not one man was there. Instead, you must accept it on the basis of faith, whether you believe it was a comet or the divine power of God. Faith is trust in something that cannot be apprehended by the physical senses. And here, Jesus links faith with final judgment. It isn't the first time that he's spoken of this, is it? As he concluded his sermon on the mount, four times he told you that judgment is coming. That there are some who are on the broad road, some who are on the narrow road. Some who would say to Him, Lord, Lord, but would not inherit the kingdom. Some who were building uh, their uh, houses on sand and some who are building on stone. And here, Jesus is linking true faith to judgment. Some, some who were there, some who had enjoyed all of the privileges of the sons of the kingdom, some whose moms and dad, dads had raised them on Torah, who taught them the law and all the intricacies of God's Word, who went to the synagogue day in and day out, at the end of the day would find themselves in the place not of light, but of darkness. All the light they received was in this life. But they lacked faith. 
in the fact that the authority of the Godhead rests in this man. True faith acknowledges the extent of Christ's authority, that He is the one who judges and will judge with the wisdom and power of God. Fourthly, sincere faith acknowledges Christ's authority, the nature of it, and the extent of it. And then lastly, it waits upon the demonstration of Christ's authority. Look with me at verses 13 to 15. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you. How? As you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. These two, uh, two things go together, I believe, because they are demonstrating to you that Christ's authority, when He exercises His power, there's no delay. When He wills something to happen and He commands it to happen, it happens immediately. Notice first in the slave. How is He healed at that very moment? So something happened. When Christ issued the command, He spoke the word, this contingency, perhaps with the centurion himself, they all traveled back to the house and there He was. And the people perhaps were coming out, maybe the serving lad is coming out of the house saying, look at me. The pain is gone. He's dancing and rejoicing. And likewise, Matthew cleverly and truthfully depicts the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Notice what happens. Jesus, there no command is issued. In gentleness, he touched her hand and she arose. There's, there's no moment where she says, let me get my breath. There's no moment where she needs to rebuild her strength. She gets up and she began to serve them immediately. She puts the pots on to boil, begins to bake the bread. Notice how beautiful the Scripture is. This is perhaps just a side note. Christ touched Peter's mother-in-law. He also touched the leper. The leper was cleansed immediately. Peter's mother-in-law was cleansed and made whole immediately, and they both began to serve. Matthew has done this intentionally to show you the point of the passage, that all of this goes together. Jesus' healing is immediate, and Jesus' healing is complete. She got up and served them. One of the things that when you come, when you come to Christ in true faith, what are you expecting? That Christ has the power immediately and completely to do everything that you ask Him to do whatsoever it is. He is not limited in power. And He can go a full day. He can feed thousands of people. And He is a limitless resource of power and authority. And so the question now turns to you. How do you respond to unanswered prayer? Would it be appropriate for us 
to look at unanswered prayer as a test of faith. Notice what he said to the centurion. Don't let this pass you by in verse 13. Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. You have demonstrated faith, and through that faith, all the benefits of Christ will be delivered to you. There's a connection between belief and prayer and the success of belief, the success of prayer and your belief. The only limitation that Christ knows is His will. And therefore, James can say to us, don't be double-minded in your prayer. Come to the Lord fully believing that He has the power to do for you whatsoever you will. And some of us are saying, well, I'll pray one time and I'm done. And to that, Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns on earth, will He find faith? Why? Because you stopped. If you really believe that this Christ has this power and this authority, that He is not hindered by anything but His will, you will keep praying. If you believe that you are seeking Him in a just cause for a good thing, you will not stop praying. The centurion, his faith motivated him to do something. How do you respond to unanswered prayer? Well, you can conclude that Jesus can't answer it. The proper conclusion is that Christ isn't answering your prayer yet because it isn't His will yet. And this enables us, doesn't it, to trace all things back to His hands. You've been praying that the Lord would give you uh, success in, in that job interview. And you didn't get success. Well, why? Well, I didn't wear the right clothes. I didn't have on the right perfume. Should have taken a bath that morning. No. It's God's sovereign hand. You see, we take this perspective on the authority of Christ. And I seek everything at His hands. Everything comes from His hands. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the lips belongs to the Lord. You know what that means? The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the lips belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that you can do all the preparation that you want. You can sit down with your friend and say, ask me the interview questions. Tell me what you think they're going to ask. And we ask the questions and we go over every possibility we think about it and we prepare. You say, lay out this suit, put on this tie, wear this deodorant, take a bath that morning, do all of those things. At the end of the day, it belongs to the Lord. He even, His sovereignty extends even to the words that come out of your mouth. You, you know those moments, I can't remember, I can't remember, oh, what was I going to say? We acknowledge that all things come from the Lord's hands. He, he, he causes our words to be upheld or He lets them fall to the ground. 
The answer belongs to the Lord, and so we trust. This is faith connects us to the authority of Christ in that way. True faith, you see, acknowledges the fact of Christ's authority, that He is authoritative, and you go to Him, therefore, over and over and over. You acknowledge the nature of His authority. It's divine. It isn't limited by time and space. He can do whatsoever He wills, whenever He wills. And you acknowledge the extent of Christ's authority, that He will even sit as judge in the tribunal that concludes all things. And going to Him in this way, with this kind of faith, you then wait on Him to demonstrate His power in His way. You know, in the same way that a lightning rod directs a burst of electricity into the ground, faith is the conduit through which the blessings of Christ come to you. He's ordained faith as the means of your salvation, the means of blessing. Why? Because it causes you to turn away from yourself and rest in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we learn so much from this passage. Faith, we find, doesn't come in the same strength in every single person. Some men have weak faith. We learned that in the lesson on anxiety. Oh, you of little faith. Look at the sparrow. Look at the flowers of the field. Why are you worried? And we see now the demonstration of strong faith. Lord, we we desire strong faith. And we acknowledge that this too comes from Your hand. Help us, O Father, to accept every affliction as nothing more than the setting the setting for the diamond of faith. Would you strengthen us, harden the faith in our hearts, as it were. Let the the diamond of faith in our lives glisten brightly. The more we are afflicted, the more we turn to you. And the longer we pray, the more we pray, the more uh, repetitive we are in our prayers and coming to you, crying out to you, knowing that you are only limited by your will. You can do whatsoever you will, whenever you do, whenever you will it. And even though you are right now, O oh Lord, seated on the throne of your kingdom, subduing all of your enemies to yourself, You're not limited in power. All you need is to speak a word. And you can grant whatsoever is in accord with your will. Help us to have this kind of faith. We ask for the sake of your glory. Amen.